Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast, where with each episode we hear from different women in the health IT industry. We like to hear about what makes them tick, how they overcome challenges, work they are especially proud of, advice they would give to women following in their footsteps, and much, much more. I'm Joy Rios. I'm Robin Roberts. And this is our sixth episode of the season. Today, we're chatting with Kelly Delgadio. Hello, everybody. Today, we're talking with Kelly Delgadio. She works at Galen Healthcare, and we are talking to her predominantly about an exciting new project that she's working on. She has a little over 13 years uh, working in the health IT. She's worked with Meditech, Acute and Ambulatory Systems, and also worked for a telemedicine company for a while. And we're excited to learn a little bit more about her background. So, Kelly, would you say hi to our listeners and maybe tell us a little bit more about you know, how you came to work in health IT and even some of this STEM and coding background you have. Hi, my name is Kelly Delgadio. And really, I it was just uh, luck that I ended up working in health IT. You know, I was looking for a job out of college. Uh, in college, I was a journalism major turned business major halfway through. And then um, Meditech is a really big company in Massachusetts. They have about six offices in Mass. Um, I was living in Rhode Island at the time, so I had a couple friends that worked there. They got me the job. It was a great opportunity to travel, um, which I was really excited about. So um, I really just kind of fell into it, but then I also fell in love with it. I worked at Meditech for just over 10 years, and then uh, when I left, I worked for American Well, which is a telemedicine uh, solution company, for a little while, and then I've missed Meditech. So um, I came over to Galen Healthcare Solutions to start their Meditech vertical. That's really interesting that you went from journalism to business and ultimately, you know, fell into to health IT. And I, I can relate to, you know, making a transition and falling in love with it. Uh, what are you doing right now at Galen Healthcare? Um, I'm a principal consultant here at Galen Healthcare. Um, one of the things that makes Galen Healthcare Solutions unique is that we work with all different vendors. Uh, we've probably worked with every EMR vendor under the sun, um, some you've probably never heard of, some that you've definitely heard of. Um, but it kind of makes us unique and we all, we're a small firm, but we all kind of come together and share knowledge about EMR as a whole uh, and what other EMRs are doing. Um, so I run their Meditech vertical. There's a lot of 
players, a lot of competitors in the Meditech consultancy space. So I thought that this was a unique opportunity to kind of take the skill set that I have with the Meditech rules engine and kind of create a niche market for that. Um, and Galen was so happy that I, I was so happy that Galen was on board with letting me do that. So we're really just getting it going in the past year or so. So is that connected to Operation Nerdy Works? It is. Operation Nerdy Work was essentially a focus group that I ran when I started at Galen. Um, I let some people here know that I was interested in writing rules, which it's basically code uh, that you can add to the Meditech system that to make it do things that the system standardly doesn't do. Because of the complexities of this code and, and there's not a lot of uh, knowledge sharing or information about it, there's only a handful of really good rule writers out there. Uh, most of them don't work in hospitals, so I thought maybe I could create a deliverable package of rules or add-on functionality that hospitals need, and I can rapidly deliver that all of that code to the masses and help uh, Meditech customers optimize their EMR uh, at the same time. So that was really the idea, but I don't have a clinical background. So I worked with a lot of uh, clinical people. I supported Meditech's clinical products through the entire time I worked at Meditech. Uh, and I can fake it till I make it sometimes, but I don't have a clinical background. So I needed Meditech users, frontline Meditech users, to be able to tell me what was their their biggest frustrations and pain points that they had with the Meditech system was. And the best way to do that, I thought, was to create a focus group. So Operation Nerdy Work is what I called the focus group because really we wanted to be able to do the nerdy work. There aren't a lot of IT people out there that also have a computer science background. Many hospital IT staff are really just nurses that wanted a change of pace or with some IT background, but there really isn't a lot of people that can code. We don't expect that they're going to really pick up an advanced rule writing uh, skill set. So if we could do it for them then and support those tools for them, then they can concentrate on what they do best. So Operation Nerdy Work was a focus group that I ran comprised of nine Meditech hostels, all running the latest release of Meditech, 6X, 6X one expanse or higher. And they were representative of all different areas of the country. We worked with ACOs, IDNs, all the way down to critical access hospitals. And we felt that this group gave us a unique perspective into the frustrations and pain points that the users of Meditech were having. And through a rule logic and workflow redesign, we are able to address a lot of those frustrations and pain points. So I love the interdisciplinary approach you describe in working with the frontline clinical users, the IT guys, and the other ones. How did you approach or become involved in learning kind of more about the rules as an, as an individual in health IT, Kelly? So it really started at Meditech. I had many different jobs when I was at Meditech. And one of the jobs that I had, um, I supported clinical products in the U.S. and in the U.K. for quite some time. And then um, I took a job on the Meditech SWAT team, which is a small team of elite clinical IT Meditech specialists that would go out to hospitals and help them meet higher or achieve higher MRAM scores for it to meet various um, HIMSS analytics stages, uh, help them with meaningful use initiatives, quality measures, clinical measures. So uh, we would select a hospital, go out to them, and they would explain, you know, what they were trying to achieve within Meditech. And a lot of these things that they were trying to achieve were things that the Meditech system standards 
wouldn't or couldn't do. So we had to get creative or I had to get creative. And that's really where I kind of fell into the Meditech rules engine. You know, somebody said, you can do that with a rule. And I was like, well, what's a rule? <laughs> and I, uh, I got into this rules engine. It's very complex. There's not a lot of documentation or people that support it because nobody really wants such it was a 10-foot pole. But once you can test it and, and figure it out, the limitations are endless. It almost takes the Meditech system and makes it open source, which I found really intriguing. If you don't know anything about Meditech or their products, um, Meditech is one of the original EMR companies that was started by a couple of MIT nerds that set out to make lab hospital IT system. Um, that eventually grew into an entire EMR. And if you've ever heard of the MUMPS programming language, then one of the founders of Meditech actually started that. Since Meditech was around before meaningful use and a lot of these mandates that came out, it was pretty much the wild west of, e of EMRs. Meditech customers could utilize and customize the system however they wanted. And to this day, Meditech still provides customers with some degree of flexibility to design their own workflows in the system. So, and that's re really where the rules engine comes in. So they give customers this rules engine. They say you can customize it however you want, but they don't really give you a lot of information about how it works. So it takes a lot of time, patience, and just playing around with it to figure out how it works. But once you do that, then it really opens a lot of doors to be able to customize the system to make it work however the customers want it to work. So one of the things that a lot of EMR customers will say if they're like something to develop in pipeline uh, or not ready to be coded yet um, or they don't want to address it is, oh, sorry, that's working as designed. I'm sure I'm not sure if you've heard that phrase before, but a lot of EMR companies will say that we want to take that working as designed and turn it into working as desired because we think that customers should drive how the workflows work and how the tools uh, work within an EMR. And I think that we're doing that slowly through rule design and the ingenuity tools that we're being able to create. That sounds like a really powerful place that you are career-wise, being able to customize a system to get what the customers really want to get out of it. And I hadn't actually heard that term before, the working as designed versus working as desired. And it seems pretty obvious that, of course, you want a system to work the way that's customizable for each client and how they do work and have, have the system, you know, flex towards them versus the other way around. That's pretty great. And I think that was Meditech's original intent because they gave customers all this flexibility to customize the system however they wanted and they wanted customers to be able to take charge and make it to work for them and then enter meaningful use and all of these quality measures and all these things that you have to do a certain way or else it's not right. You really have to start limiting that availability or that flexibility to your customers and kind of set boundaries for them. But you can kind of work around those boundaries with the rules engine. And just because something's possible doesn't necessarily mean it's easy to accomplish. So your operation nerdy work of having a focus group, can you tell us more of what came out of that? Is that basically what led into ingenuity? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said before, I don't have a clinical background. I consider myself a full-time nerd, but I do love working with clinical people. I started in, uh, working with nurses, and I love nurses because they will tell you how they really feel about everything, and they don't hold back. So this uh, group had a lot of nurses in the group, a lot of specialties. Specialties is, is one thing when, with, when dealing with hospitals 
uh, acute EMR systems, the specialties kind of get left behind because uh, everybody's scrambling to get your system up and uh, get everybody documenting because of all these measures that we have to meet that the specialties will have to go with whatever we design for 80% of the workflow that hospitals are going to use and we'll get to them later. So specialties really hate their documentation. There's a lot of redundancy, a lot of things that they don't like about documenting in EMR. So we kind of want to work with the specialties to get them to really enjoy their EMR experience, uh, have the users equal happy patients. So that was a big takeaway from the focus group is how can we concentrate on creating better workflows for our specialists. Quality measures, obviously huge. They're always coming out with the new ones that uh, Meditech is always scrambling to try to figure out how the best way to implement that in their workflow. And they've got a huge development pipeline of all this other stuff that they're working on that Sometimes they can't get to all of those things right away. So, you know, maybe we can take them and, and implement a great workflow for some of the quality measures. Problem list is another huge issue industry-wide. A lot of hospitals use IMO integration to get their problems on, on the patient. But one of the things that we heard from our focus group is that the problem list is a static list. Providers are not inclined to manage and update their problem list because it doesn't do anything for them. And I really don't blame them. So how can we make the problem list a dynamic list? So if I add a problem to my patient's problem list, it's going to suggest all of these orders or all of these order sets or interventions that I need to complete on my patient or measures that need to be done for patients with certain chronic conditions before discharge. So problem list is huge. And then advanced clinical decision support is the new hotness. It's everywhere. Uh, Hems Analytics mentions it, uh, meaningful use, CMS, every webpage wants advanced clinical decision support. And uh, we can achieve a lot of advanced clinical decision support using discrete data elements that are collected within the patient's chart through the rules engine. So I can basically create these if-then programming statements to say, like, if the patient is in, on this unit and the attending provider is this, then present the user with that message if they have diabetes. So there's a lot of different data elements that I can utilize within this rules engine to really create true advanced clinical decision support. I love that the outcome of one of the major outcomes of Operation Nerdy Work being Ingenuity is really a solution to the healthcare arena and marketplace for both the end users and ultimately the benefit of the patients. With that degree of customization, I think being a key player in the marketplace means bringing a solution. And it sounds like Ingenuity is doing that. And so that's just critical in this point in time. And you guys were actually recognized for doing that, right, Kelly, this year? We were. We won the 2018 Health IT Practical Innovation Award, which is awesome. We did not think that we were going to win. We you know, you have to be in it to win it. So we submit for, for everything. But we did not think that we were going to win. There's so many great people doing so many great things out there. And then when I said, yeah, you won, it was like life changing. Um, it was validation and vindication that what I'm doing is actually helping customers. Uh, we're so getting so much great exposure from healthcare scene, people reaching out to us on Twitter. So it's been really great for a small firm to stand, stand out in this space. We have a lot of competitors in the Meditech arena, but I think that we have a niche market that we can really compete in using advanced clinical decision support. I wouldn't have been able to do that without the support of, of Galen. So I've spent many development unbillable hours that have been poured into this product and they've really supported it through infancy. So I'm thrilled to get this one for them and I'm excited about what's come. 
It's really exciting. Congratulations. I mean, that's a huge win. And even just the name of the award, Practical Innovation, the fact that you're creating something that has a practical use in the industry. It's not something just for the glitter and the glitz. It's actually being put to use and in positive way with positive impacts nationwide. So congratulations. It's huge. Thanks. It's it's interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, when we were doing our submission, we had to read the what is practical innovation. And I was like, wow, that is ingenuity. It's real. It's all about the low hanging fruit. It's not the glitz or the glamour or the huge bells and whistles, but it's thing. It's solutions that you can implement today and now that are really going to make an impact at your organization. And our code, we can deliver in under a month to a hospital. They can, you know, validate it. Uh, We can customize it to work with their workflow. We want to be non-invasive to what they're doing now. So a lot of our code, we can just customize it to say, oh, you're using the Padua score and not the improved score to capture BTE risk. We can change that easily in our code so we don't disrupt your workflow, but we enhance it. I think that's really phenomenal. And that is ingenuity and just super smart on your part. You know, you touched on something that it's not the glitz and the glamour. And you mentioned the hard work, the stuff that goes in behind the scenes. And that is an amazing accomplishment. Could you talk our listeners through maybe one of the biggest challenges you or the focus group or really this interdisciplinary team faced is maybe either in the early stages or maybe before deploying something? And tell us a little bit about maybe that challenge or how it was overcome? Yeah, sure. I can give you a a couple of examples, you know, things that I've talked about from our focus group. One of those things is that those rules that will drive care off the patient problem list that came up time and time again in our focus group. And we really struggled with trying to figure this out. There are certain limitations that are in the Meditech rules engine that prevent you from doing certain things. So one of the things that they just didn't code is word wrap functionality. So not to get too nerdy on you. But the rules have to look to an individual IMO code that's representative of a certain ICD-10 code that's representative of a condition. So diabetes, for example, has a lot of ICD-10 codes that are representative of that condition and even triple, maybe quadruple the IMO codes because you can say that term in so many different ways that ends up being over 5,000 IMO codes that are representative of diabetes. And that is changing over time because they're constantly updating their products and we have keep up with that. So I worked with our development team here at Galen to be able to create a way to automate looking at what the value set authority says is the ITV 10 code for diabetes and comparing that against the IMO codes and then coming up with a rule that is all inclusive of that particular condition that suggests, hey, maybe this patient needs a foot exam before you discharge them. So that's really the end goal. And providers like it. We like to keep it simple for them on the front end. Um, it's intuitive, but they have no idea how many lines of code that, that is in order to get that simple message. So it was a struggle, but that's another thing that I love about working with Galen is we have so many great, smart people here that are willing to help, even though there's not a lot of people that do Meditech. They know all of the EMR systems and they're able to get me what I need in order to achieve what I'm trying to do. So it's awesome. Another great example of that is our VTE prophylaxis compliance protocol that we've created. I pour 
tons of hours into research to come up with the best way to do something before I even think about how I want to code it. And we designed this tool using the AHRQ best practice guidelines for VTE prophylaxis compliance. And if you want to achieve over 90% compliance, then your protocol should really take what the VTE risk is for the patient and suggest prophylaxis based on that risk. And if prophylaxis isn't ordered, it should mandate contraindication reasons in order to satisfy those requirements. So under the hood, this is the 400 lines of code that drive this protocol, but it's really super intuitive and nice for the providers to use on the front end. So as soon as they come in to place an order or uh, transfer a patient or admit a patient, it says, hey, you haven't filled out the VTE emission assessment. Do you want to do that? You can do it in a single click. You can place your orders right within the protocol, and then it satisfies that requirement. We're also doing specific pop-up messages to specific users that need them. So that protocol only will present to the admitting or the attending provider or users within their group. Anybody else that's placing an order with that protocol on it, it will be suppressed. And we think that that's smart because pop-up fatigue is a huge thing and providers are blowing by alerts and messages left and right. And we want those messages to be meaningful for them. So if we can only present them with the messages that mean something to them, then they're more more inclined to read them and adhere to them. It sounds like so much thought and very forward-thinking design has gone into the approach. And we hear about pop-up or notification fatigue from doctors constantly. So having that at the forefront of your mind before you're actually designing something, I'm sure that folks in the industry are really grateful and thankful for you to even take the time to do that because it actually means for on the other side, them saving, you know, minutes, which is important in patient care. And those minutes add up to hours or days of documentation. So what a huge accomplishment. Thanks. Yeah, we do a lot of click counting. Everything that we design, you know, I'll go back and when I want to redesign it, I'll say, how many clicks can I do it? You know, if it's five, I can do it in four. If it's four, I can do it in two. (laughs) So, like, how do I automate that documentation so the provider is spending more time with their patient, less time at the computer, but still getting those alerts that they need right at the forefront? Well, that's really impressive. So with your 13 years of industry experience, and you now have quite a, a unique perspective on health IT and working at different applications and their implementations, kind of transitioning over to the conversation about women in healthcare or in health IT specifically, is there any advice you would give for, for somebody who wanted to follow your path? Yeah, I mean, in my career, I've worked with, you know, some guys who thought they were smarter than me or knew better than me. And I've also worked with a lot of people that saw my potential and steered me in a better direction. And my advice would be to find those people. They're out there and they're going to support you. They're going to celebrate you and they're going to get you where you need to go. And, you know, it took a while, but I found those people. And the other thing that I lived my entire life by is the 80-20 rule. So life, relationships, friendships, the job, it's 20% of the time it can be terrible. That's fine. Um, but anything more than that, you need to reevaluate your situation and figure out what's wrong. And if you need to move somewhere to fix it, then that's what you have to do, but you figure out how to fix it. So if you can figure out how to be happy 80% of the time and what you're doing, then it's going to shine through in the work that you produce. That's really a a really great perspective, and I like how you kind of draw a threshold there for what does and doesn't work. 
speaking of what's working, if I could transition back, can you tell us about maybe some of the folks you're working with and the kind of benefits they're seeing? Yeah, so we've been working with uh, Freeman Health. We're working with uh, Valley Health in um, Ridgewood, New Jersey. They're a really great award-winning organization. They've been on Meditech for, I believe it's like 28 years. They were using Meditech original legacy product of Meditech Magic. And like I said before, Magic was one of the first Meditech products to come out. And referencing back to the earlier part of the conversation, Magic was the Wild West. Like it came out before any meaningful use initiatives and it was kind of just customize it, use it however you want. And customers loved that flexibility. And they had this, not rules, but they had the ability to do that through this thing called attributes. And they could create coding statements to call macros, various programs, and uh, present alerts and protocols and automate documentation and do all of this great stuff within the system. Customers have free range to utilize the attribute program to however they wanted. So Valley Health had that program. And then they went up with Meditech's newer product, which is so much better. It's way better than the Magic product. However, it is limited with your attribute functionality. They lost a lot of their custom functionality when they went up with Meditech 6X. Some of the functionality was addressed through standard workflow that was now available in their Meditech's newer product, but some of it was lost. So when they found me at one of the Meditech conferences, they were like, you're our girl that's going to get our attributes back. And, you know, I've been working with them. They're a great organization. They've really pushed my limits within the Meditech rules engine to be better than I ever have been. And we're doing cool things. We're doing, we're implementing that VT prophylaxis compliance protocol right now. They, before they were up with Meditech 6, they were at like 100% compliance. And then they went up with 6, they kind of went down because they lost a lot of their custom functionality. So we're working on getting that back. And because this protocol is designed using the AHRQ best practice guidelines, and we've wor- worked with their entire physician advisory council to design it for them, we think it's going to put them at 98% or higher compliance for VT prophylaxis. So I'm really excited about that. We're getting a lot of recognition for these problem drivers that we've been able to create. So those we call them problem drivers, but they drive care off the problem list. So we're implementing our sepsis bundle at uh, Deborah Heart and Lung, also in New Jersey soon. Um, we think this is a great protocol. What it does is it does a bi-directional check to see if the patient has um, a, prob- a sepsis problem on their problem list or if you add a sepsis problem to their problem list, it will queue up the appropriate sepsis order set for the patient automatically. So as soon as the provider files their note, takes them right into order that sepsis bundle to get that patient on on that sepsis order set right away. Vice versa, if you order the order set and the problem's not on the problem list, you'll get an alert to say, make sure you update your problem list with the sepsis problem. So kind of encouraging providers to update and maintain their problem list, which I believe is something that's going to be uh, required coming down the line because it's not really required now. Nobody's really updating and managing their problem list as they should. So I think really CMS is eventually going to catch on to that and be like, hey, this is now mandated. You have to do it. So we're kind of getting ahead of the game by implementing these bi-directional checks for for problems and various other data elements that should exist if those problems exist on the chart. That's really smart to have the checks and balances of a system. And 
you know, it may not be in the final rule or an absolute requirement today, but looking forward and planning for that eventuality, I would imagine is helpful in the decision support and enhancing patient safety. So kudos. Thank you. I was going to say the same exact thing is that that is just a super smart approach. And so I love that the benefits being realized are unique to the groups and the the teams and the needs of what's going on. And also, though, that you guys are looking forward and they're they're looking to measure that impact to realize the value of the solution you all have devised. So in thinking about that, what do you see as the future of Ingenuity? The future of Ingenuity is really limitless. We've started with as a crowdsource solution and we intend to always be a crowdsource solution. So we started with our focus group and now we work with our Ingenuity customers to drive the direction of our product. So as we get more Ingenuity customers, we will have development meetings with them. They get to vote on what we're working on next. So it's really customer-driven solutions. So it's what they need, and we're just, you know, order takers. Like, what do you, what do you guys want? I don't believe that anyone in IT that doesn't have a clinical background should really get to say how something should work. You have to work with the users who have to use it every day in order to understand how it should work. So it will always be crowdsourced. I think we will continue to implement more problem drivers as those government mandates come down, encouraging providers to update and maintain their problem list. We've created a rule to embed the 2018 CMS coding guidelines directly into a provider's workflow. This is really going to help that provider-coder relationship that we all know and love. So providers fill out their notes, some stuff is wrong, the coders get it, they cancel out the claim until they update the documentation or indicate which diagnostic tests or provide more information within their notes so they have to go back. If the claim goes out the door without the appropriate information, that claim gets rejected. You don't see your revenue right away. So it's a very delicate relationship between the providers and the coders. So implementing these coding guidelines to say, hey, you use E11 points like make sure you add these additional codes to your note in order to support that claim that the patient has that problem or or um, certain reasons why you should or shouldn't use certain codes as the principal diagnosis are helpful information for providers as they're updating their notes. Providers are going to love it because they it cuts down on their back and forth with the providers and you get those claims out the door in a more efficient time and most of the time they get accepted. <laughs> So that's cool. Um, We're also doing a lot of uh, drugs or lab tests that aren't covered by certain insurances. So all of this information is available to us. The glory of the EMR is that everything is documented somewhere within the chart. And why are we not using that discrete data to our advantage? So if a patient's a Medicaid, Medicare patient, and I go to place this drug test that screens for 87 different types of drugs that's not typically covered by Medicaid, Medicare, I should receive an alert to say, hey, here's an alternative test that you can use that is covered by this insurance. And that's really going to make a significant impact on your revenue. I think that we'll be doing a lot of those. Meditech also has another rules engine separate from this rules engine called the surveillance rules engine. And that's awesome. The surveillance rules engine creates boards that auto-populate with patients that meet certain criteria. So patients that are at risk for sepsis or CAUTI will auto-populate this board. And then the quality people can check the board to see how the patient 
doing, prioritize these patients. And all of those patients that populate the board are driven by rules that are written within this engine. So we're looking to get into surveillance rules next year, as well as billing rules and registry. So you have a very full plate right now with ingenuity. And yeah, we're busy. <laughs> we're pretty busy, <laughs> which is good. Busy is a good thing. I always need a project or a puzzle. So I love that the spirit of the mission is just going to continue to enhance this, this niche you all have devised that is taking so much stock in what the end users need to better serve their patients. That's a beautiful thing to hear. Thank you. We, we appreciate hearing it. Say it again. <laughs> it is a beautiful solution that you all have devised uh, that you're going after. So, um, Kelly, we really appreciate you, you know, sharing about your background, you know, the, the advice you'd have for others and really about the solution that you and Gallant Healthcare brought to others and the fact that it's such a game changer that it won an award this year. So if people want to find you or learn more about this, what's the best way for them to reach you? They can go to galenhealthcaresolutions.com slash ingenuity to check out our ingenuity webpage. They can send me a direct email, kelly.delgadio at galenhealthcare.com. Or uh, if you're on Twitter, I'm that MT rule girl. So follow me, tweet at me, ask me questions. I'm pretty responsive to uh, Meditai customers. I love hearing your feedback. And what I'm doing wrong helps me be better. Uh, what I'm doing right helps my drive. So we love to hear from all Meditai customers. Awesome. Well, I'm sure you're definitely going to have some listeners that want to know more about this really cool solution that uh, you're in the driver's seat of. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with Joy and I today and the Hit Like a Girl podcast listeners. Yeah, this is awesome. Thank you guys so much for considering me for this podcast. I'm really excited. <laughs> Our pleasure. It's been really nice to meet you, Kelly. I'm happy to say it again. Like your work is very impressive. It took a while to get here, but but we're, we're finally getting some recognition and some traction. So I'm excited to be a competitor in this space. Thank you, Kelly, for sharing your expertise with our audience. And thank you for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or Kelly, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply just tell a friend or family member about this podcast, that would help us out too. You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle at hitlikeagirlpod. Thanks again. See you next time.